Let's turn, if you will, with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you know, we have in the New Testament two letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Well, there must have been at least a third one that we do not have, because in the first Corinthian letter, it says, I wrote unto you in an epistle, but we don't have that one. You say, suppose we found it. What would happen to the Bible? Nothing. He must have written a lot of letters. But first Corinthians has to do with Christian work, and second Corinthians has to do with Christian worker. So I'd like to read about uh, the first ten verses of Second Corinthians chapter 5. This is a very interesting chapter because it begins where the Christian life ends, and it ends where the Christian life begins. You can read this chapter backward as well as forward. Where does the Christian life begin? For he, that is God, hath made him, the Son of God, to be a sin offering for us. He knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's where the Christian life begins. And where does the Christian life end? With verse 1. For we know that our earthly house of this tabernacle would dissolve. We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan. You done any of that today? No, you're not old enough. But you just get a little mileage and you'll uh, start groaning. And God, we're going to find out he put it in you. Earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit. And as you grow old and that groan comes, and God has arranged it that you're not going to ever be too comfortable down here. Did you know that? He's fixed it so you're never going to be too comfortable down here. Uh, he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing in God, as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith. Now, in the first Corinthian letter, it says the Jews require a sign. When God ever deals with Israel, he deals in signs. But I hope that you don't look for signs because you're going to be disappointed. We walk by faith. And walking by faith means you're going to believe what the Bible says and you're going to obey it, live or die, sink or swim, come what may. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be out from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted a well-pleasing of him. And here's my little talk tonight. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, when you think about the second coming of Christ, there is that aspect that has to do with the church which could take place before we're out of this building tonight. We're looking for the Savior. I hope you are. Um, That's what brought me to faith in the the beginning. Uh, Someone explained to me of of the catching out of the Lord's people uh, 
which is not a biblical term, but the, but the truth is there, and that is the rapture of the church. Actually, I think the derivation of that word, uh, when it came into existence, is a story of an eagle that sweeps down and picks up a lamb and, and, uh, carries it out of here. So, but between the rapture and the revelation, that is when re- the Lord returns to the Mount of Olives and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, there's a succession of great events. First of all, there's going to be the gathering together of the saints to Christ. Many times we sing, oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me, for when by his grace I shall look on his face, that will be glory, yes, glory for me. But you know, you could always sing it, you could also sing it, oh, that will be glory for him, glory for him, for when he looks on my face, not this one, that will be glory, yet glory for him, because there's going to be a mighty change. Can you imagine that God was so absolutely charmed in Christ, in manhood, that he has retained that manhood glorified? And that when he comes, we're going to be like him, because we'll see him as he is. And uh, can you imagine having a whole family there, and he's going to take the whole family to his father and say, look what I have for my work. They're all going to be there. Look what I have. For my I'd be glad to do it again if I had to. Of course, he'll never have to do it again. But what he did for the, on the cross, he brought us there, and he's going to present us to his Father, and he's going to say, Behold, I and the children that thou hast given me. And then after that comes, as that verse that I read in it, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now let me stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Every believer is subject to a threefold judgment. There's a judgment in the past, there's a judgment in the present, and there's going to be a judgment in the future. There are only two places where God ever deals with sin in a judicial way. One was at the cross, and the next one will be at the white throne judgment. And there'll be no believers at that one. But I'd just like to talk about that. Um, Every believer is subject, I say, to a threefold judgment. First of all, there's a judgment as a sinner. We have been judged as a sinner. In Psalm 143, verse 2, it says that God is angry at sinners every day, but that was before the cross. God's not angry at you now, but he was then. Uh, because our sins were judged in Christ in the fullest sense of the word. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is already passed from death unto life. I love that verse, don't you? We'll never come to that great white throne judgment unless it's there as witness. I read that the Queen of Sheba is going to be there at the great white throne as a witness because... Um, uh, I imagine the Lord will say, uh, who are you? I uh, was the Queen of Sheba. 
Allah, where did you come from? I came from Ethiopia. That was a long way. How did you come? Riding a camel. And if you don't know what a camel is, it's a horse put together by a committee. And, uh, <laughs> and she came all that way uh, to see Solomon. But a greater than Solomon is here. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I love the words of that hymn. No condemnation, blessed Lord, consider it, my soul. Thy sins were all on Jesus laid. His stripes have made thee whole. In heaven the blood forever speaks in God's omniscient ear. The saints, like jewels on his breast, Jesus doth ever bear. So Christ has already borne the judgment. But that's the judgment in the past. But there is a judgment in the present. Uh, we were judged as sinners in the past. We are being judged as sons in the present. This is not to determine whether we are the sons or the children of God or not, because that's already been settled. As many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children or the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I'll never forget the night that I came to faith. It was on a Friday night, and I went home, and I told my mother, I didn't know what had happened to me, but I told her she knew what had happened. And then I went upstairs, and I kneeled down beside my bed. I had a three-seasonal mattress on my bed. Have you ever slept in a three-seasonal mattress? No spring. But um, I kneeled down, and I, and I prayed, My Heavenly Father... And it dawned upon me that God was my father. In fact, I took a course in biological science when I was in college, and they said you get uh, about 25% of your characteristics from your father and 25% of your characteristics from your mother, and the rest of it you get from your grandparents and so forth. But when you're born again, you're more closely related to your heavenly father than you ever have been to your earthly father. So this is not to decide whether we are the children of God. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 12, if I can find it over here. This Bible is so well worn that uh, the pages are falling out of it. The 12th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I want you to start looking at, uh, let's see, um, yeah, at six, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? Now that verse could never have been written in 1996 because kids are so much better now than they've ever been before. So um, if, the, if your kid comes in with a saw and wants to saw the leg of the piano off, let him alone. He's going to be a carpenter when he grows older. And you may get him all messed up. Oh, so that verse, uh, there are plenty of them that are never chastened today. So I say that could never have been written in the day in which we live. For con um, I'm in the... Yeah. And if... And ye have... 
forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto us as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye alien-born and not sons. Let me ask you a rhetorical question. I think you know what a rhetorical question is. I ask the question, I give the answer, and you keep your mouth shut. (laughs) That's why the pulpit is called Coward's Castle. We can say anything we want, and you have to sit there and take it whether you like it or not. But if I would ask you a rhetorical question, how many here have ever been chastened of the Lord? Not too good, is it? But he chasteneth every son whom he receiveth. You say, isn't there any way you can get out of it? Yes, there is. The Apostle Paul, when he was... uh, uh, writing to the Corinthians, he spoke about that. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we might not be condemned with the world. Uh, You're all so young. I don't imagine we have any here that remember um, uh, the Rosenbergs, the atom bomb spies. And uh, they appeared before, uh, they were Jewish, and they appeared before a Jewish judge, a great judge by the name of Judge Kaufman. And as they appeared before him, he used the principle of life and death. They said, we do not want mercy, we want justice. I hope that you will never say that, that you do not want mercy, you want justice. Because if you want justice, you'll get it. The judge of all the earth will do right. I heard about a woman that went in and had some some photographs made. And uh, when she came out looking at the proofs, she looked at them and said, these proofs don't do me justice. And somebody standing there said, listen, sister, you don't need justice, you need mercy. (laughs) But uh, when... When the Rosenbergs appeared before Judge Kaufman, he used the principle of life and death. That's the principle that God used at the cross. The Lord Jesus received death that we might receive life. But Judge Kaufman was not only a judge, he was also a daddy. He was also a father. He had twins and another one at that time. I think he's still living and I think he's still uh, active in in, in the... um, judicial world. But when he went home, uh, his wife said, oh, what a day. What a day. Those kids, your side of the family really came out today. Um, Said I had baked a lot of cookies and I had them in the cookie jar and I told the kids to leave them alone because we have a bridge party this afternoon, the bridge, and I had made those cookies as refreshments for my friends. And when I went and opened the jar to get them, the kids had already been in there and had uh, taken them all. So, uh, as being a father at home, he had to exercise a little bit of um, discipline. 
But he wouldn't use the discipline, the principle of life and death like he did with the Rosenbergs. It now is the principle of love and discipline. And that's the way God deals with us now with love and discipline. And if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we might not be condemned with the world. You say, oh, I do that every night. Just before I get into bed, I get down on one knee and I confess my sins. And uh, and I say, oh, God, please forgive me my sins that I've committed today. Let me give you a little bit of news. He doesn't forgive you one of them. When you come to faith in the beginning, he doesn't even deal with your sins. If he did, he'd still be at it. There are so many. But as a believer, and you say, please forgive me my sins that I've committed today, he's going to say, which one did you have in mind? Gossip? Or any one of a hundred of them? If we don't judge ourselves... God's going to have to judge us, that we might not be condemned with the world. There was an evangelist by the name of Albert Widdison. I never met him, but wherever I have been, whether it's been the Bahamas or Australia or New Zealand or wherever, wherever Albert Widdison had gone, uh, he must have been a very delightful evangelist because I find uh, children of God as a result of his ministry. But whenever I'd go to Hollywood, Florida, he had died, and I used to stay with his widow. And we'd sit there at the kitchen table, and she'd give me some of uh, Daddy's sermons, which I still preach today. Uh, if you do want me to preach your sermon, don't give them to me, because um, the only thing I know is what I've learned from somebody else. But anyway, she told me that one afternoon and evening, uh, Albert Whittison, her husband, and uh, Agnes, the wife, had to be away. And they had three sons and said, Now we want you kids to behave yourself or tell you where your supper is and uh, don't play the fool and don't uh, mess up this place. And so they had gone, but on the way back, they started thinking about their house. Said, I'll bet that house will be in a mess. Three boys, you know, that have been left alone in the house. And when they opened the front door, they saw the marks of the fracas that had been going on. But they looked over, and they saw their exquisite, expensive, beautiful butter dish broken. But right beside the broken butter dish was a little note written with a juvenile hand. Dear mother and father, we broke the butter dish. We are very sorry. We have put ourselves to bed without any supper. (laughs) What would you do with a boy like that? I mean, if you told him to not to cut the fool and behave themselves, and here you come home and find out that they had broken that butter dish, you know what I would have done? I would have gone up about uh, two or three steps at a time and see him lying there. And uh, Oh, let me just say this. Never put a boy to bed without his supper. You can put a girl, but not a boy. Because you put a boy to, uh, to bed without his supper, and that gastric acid down there, will uh, he'll get ulcers as a result of it. 
And so, uh, but I'd go up there two or three steps at a time, and I'd jerk him out of bed, and I'd get my belt off, and I'd let him have it, wouldn't you? No, he had already judged himself. We have broke the butter dish, we are very sorry, and we have put ourselves to bed without any supper. You know what I would have done? I'd see him there, and I could hear his stomach growling away, and I'd get my handkerchief out. And then I'd say, wake up, son, wake up. How would you like yours? Medium rare, or how would you like it? You laugh at that, but that's the way God deals with you. That's the way he deals with you as a child. As we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us. That doesn't have to do with a sinner. I hope that when, if you're a soul winner, that you never use that verse with a person who's unsaved. That has to do with a believer. If we would uh, uh, confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. Faithful to whom? He's faithful to the cross, and he can be perfectly righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have been judged as sinners. We are being judged now as sons in the family, but there is going to be a judgment in the future. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, what is this? It's called the Bema. It was a raised platform. Um, I think that the pastor, uh, that Skip and his wife and uh, have been not only, they were in Athens and then they went out to Corinth. That's 55 miles from Athens. And uh, Gallio's judgment seat is still there. And uh, whenever I go to Athens and I take a group out to Corinth, uh, I always stand there and I explain what the judgment seat wants. It's a high platform. And um, I've heard some of the Greek guides going by and telling the people that this is where Paul preached Christianity. He never did preach Christianity. And I'm sorry, but I break in, even though I don't know the crowd and I don't know the girl, I say, just a minute, the Apostle Paul never preached Christianity. He preached Christ. But it was at the Bema where he appeared before Gallio, and it's still there to this very day. It's a raised platform where the judge stood many times to watch the games. Who shall appear there? If you were to read this chapter carefully, you'd find that it's a judgment only for Christians. What happens when a person dies? If a person dies and everyone here knows someone who's in hell, hell today is God's prison house. I hope it wasn't a member of your family, but maybe you went to school with and died out of faith, died out of Christ. And he is in hell and will have to stay there. He hasn't been judged yet. He'll have to stay there at least another thousand years before death and hell give up those that are in them. Uh, death takes the uh, body and hell takes the soul. And at the great white throne, judgment will be at the place. And that's at least a thousand years away. But um, here we have... 
the little pronoun, I guess it's a pronoun, I wouldn't know if one walked in the door, I'll tell you the truth. My wife teaches English, or taught English, but I don't know much about the parts of speech. But somebody told me that the little two-letter word we has is a pronoun. Is that true or false? Anybody know? It's found 26 times in this chapter. And it has to do with a believer. Has to do with you and me. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, what for? The word appear means to be manifested without disguise. You know, it's so easy to fool people. And it's so easy to put on. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we shall be manifested without disguise. Um, I don't buy all that many clothes, but whenever I buy a suit, and you men know what I'm talking about. I used to buy one at Rutland's Men's Store, and I'd go in, and um, they'd take and put a clothes on, and then they'd always take me and put me in where there are three mirrors there and a special kind of a blue light that'll make any piece of burlap look good. And um, uh, and they say, boy, this suit was made for you. I said, wait just a minute. I'm not going to be wearing this suit before those uh, blue lights all the time. I said, now my wife is here, and I left my other clothes and hanging in your little closet, and I'd step out in the alley, I'll step out on the sidewalk, and I'll be hanged. The thing looked altogether different uh, when I'm outdoors. I'm going to be wearing that suit and under the light of the um, of the sun, the light that I'd find outdoors. You say, but we don't know what it's going to be like. You've got a book, and the book will tell you what it's going to be like. Uh, but we are going to be judged for our saintship. You say, I didn't know I was a saint. Yes, if you're not a saint, you're not a member of the family of God. It's going to bring out the counsels of the heart. It's going to reveal why you have done what you have done. Think of how much there is done for pride of self, a pride of denomination, a pride of this, a pride of that. But that day will reveal why we have done what we have done. The hour of, Paul said in the Moffat translation, the hour of reckoning has still to come when the Lord will come to bring dark secrets to the light and to reveal life's inner aims and motives. And we will be judged for our stewardship, whether we have little or much will be judged for that which we that God has entrusted to us. And the judgment seat of Christ will reveal what we have done. I remember in a reading about in England's history, they were, they were short on silver. And Oliver Cromwell went into a church and saw these images of the different saints made of silver. said, who are these? said, these are the saints. I said, let's melt them down and put them in circulation. So we'll be judged for our stewardship. And then, if, if you'll turn back with me to, uh, let's see, let's go back to um, second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 
First Corinthians chapter 3, that's a, the plainest uh, passage that I know about the judgment seat of Christ. You already know it, probably. We'll start with verse 11 of chapter 3. Very plain passage. All right. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's only one foundation, and every one of us is built upon that foundation, and we build upon that foundation. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You've gone through the New Testament, and you notice that there are different fires that you read of. You read about uh, the chaff that is burned and the wheat that is gathered into the barn. And then uh, you read about a fiery trial. If you haven't had any of that, be patient, because the day is coming when you'll go through a fiery trial. There's going to be the problems. You just can't live without that. But in Revelation chapter 1, you have the picture of the Lord Jesus. There are 26 things that are spoken of about the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. And it says his eyes are like a flame of fire. That speaks to me about omniscience. And that will reveal again why we have done what we have done. And um, I'll never forget, uh, my wife and I were going up by Jacksonville, Florida, and I had a friend who was a jeweler. I wanted to buy my wife a watch. And uh, so as we were in the store, I said, Mr. Underwood, what's this thing right here? Oh, he said, that's a little gadget we've got that uh, you can put a diamond in there and to see whether it's good or whether it's a fake. And my wife already started to reach for hers, and I was scared to death that she'd find out that it would find out that it was a Mexican diamond or something like that. But uh, that machine would test whether it was good or bad. And that day at the judgment seat of Christ, before the eyes that was a flame of fire will decide whether we have built with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. Gold in the Bible is the emblem of divine nature. Silver is the metal in the Bible that is emblematic of redemption. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll recall that everyone, when they were counted, had to bring a half shekel of redemption money, silver, the rich could not bring more, and the poor could not bring less. And that's where they got the silver for the different things in the tabernacle. And precious stones have to do with divine glory. If you recall that the high priest had 12 stones on his breastplate, and I have gone in Revelation chapter 4 and find out that the same stones that the high priest had on his breastplate are mentioned in Revelation chapter 4, only in a reverse order. So hay, wood, stubble, etc., it's cheap. It's bulky. 
It's surface stuff, and we get it in a large quantity. And I think that if you're familiar with Christendom today, we sure have plenty of that in Christendom, of, of hay, wood, and stubble. Then gold, silver, precious stones. It's expensive. It's small. You have to dig to get it. And it's the quality of the stone and not the quantity that counts. Uh, deeds of merit, as we thought them, he will tell us where but sin. Little acts we had forgotten, he will own were done for him. But there will be prizes, because in the third chapter, in the 14th verse, it says that if any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. You know the thing that amazes me? He is going to find something in every one that he will be able to praise. I don't understand that. You think that you're such a poor stick and such a failure. He's going to find something in every one of his children that he'll be able to praise. And as I quoted a minute ago, deeds of greatness as we thought them, he will tell us were but sin. Little acts we had forgotten, he will own were done for him. Um, Billy Graham used to take his holiday down in Jamaica. And... uh, he and my friend Harold Wildish, uh, who was just about one of the most delightful evangelists that I ever heard, and I loved Harold. Um, I, he died, and I buried him about 12 years ago, and I buried his wife about two years ago. But anyway, Harold, uh, they were at Montego Bay, and Harold Wildish and Billy Graham were uh, in Doctor's Cove, which is a beautiful place to swim. And as they were swimming, Mr. Wildish said to Billy, he said, Billy, has it ever occurred to you that at the judgment seat of Christ, your little Carolina mother may get a larger reward than her world-famous son? Well, you know his answer. His answer was, of course she will. And so we don't judge anything until the time. This is no time to be judging of what we've done or what we haven't done. That day is going to reveal it. And we're going to reap what we have sown. Uh, I heard about a city preacher, pastor of a big church. And uh, the elders and the deacons noticed that he was getting a little shaky and said, we want you to take a vacation. And... Uh, We're going to give you enough money so when you go in a restaurant, you won't have to look at the right-hand column on the menu before you order. You know, you never do go in a restaurant and order what you want. You always look at the right-hand column, and then if the price is right, you look over here and see if you like it. (laughs) That's the way we all do. But said, we're going to give you an extra check so you won't have to look at the right-hand column of the menu, but you must promise us that you won't preach while you're away. So he promised that he wouldn't preach while he was away. And he got a little cottage out in the country, and uh, he was getting relaxed and feeling better. Um, But one day there was a rap on the door, and there were two or three men, 
And uh, they had taken their caps off, and they were twisting it because they were talking to a preacher. And, you know, you didn't know it, but preachers are made out of so much different material than the rest of you, scrubs. And um, (laughs) so uh, they were nervous talking to this big preacher. And uh, they said, we have a little church down the way. He said, I know it. I've seen it. And said, it's very seldom we ever get any good preaching in the church there. And we were just wondering if you could come and preach for us on Sunday morning. Well, he remembered what he had promised the men back home. But he looked into the eyes of these who had come. And he said, sure. There, I, I have, he said to himself, I've got some sermons. I've preached 15 times. And I could go. It won't be any effort for me. So he took, he said, I'll be there. So he took his little boy and walked down and uh, walked, and the door was unlocked. They never locked it because there was nothing in there to steal. But uh, when in there, it was kind of musty and all, but there was a little box over there, like these boxes you've got uh, stuck on and not as nice as these boxes. But there was a place for the offerings. So he reached in his pocket, and he got a half a dollar. And he dropped it in the slot, and he heard it hit bottom. And he preached that morning, and they were blessed. And he was blessed. And they thanked him for it and all. And and um, they said, could you preach for us tonight? We'll have a whole lot more people here tonight if you could preach tonight. He said, sure, I'll be here. So he went and preached that night. And the little boy was with him. And after he finished, one of the men walked over to that box and had a little key and unlocked the thing and held his hand underneath, and a half a dollar fell in his hand. He said, now, um, it's always our policy to give the visiting minister the offerings of the day. Uh, This isn't all that much, but we want you to know that with it comes our love and our appreciation. And the father looked at his son, and the son looked up, and he expressed his gratitude for the half a dollar that they had given him. And nothing was uh, said until they were walking back to the cottage where they were staying. And the little boy said, Daddy, I was just thinking, if you had put more in this morning, you would have got more out tonight. I don't think I need to explain that, do I? (laughs) We're going to receive at the judgment seat of Christ that which we have sown while we're here on earth. Um, I don't suppose that you ever or many here ever heard of Dr. Howard Kelly. He was the surgeon, the top surgeon at Johns Hopkins University. Of course, that was in another day. But um, he used to love to walk and to take a vacation. He'd just walk through the hills of Pennsylvania. And uh, he stopped at this farmhouse, and it was safe in those days. He went and knocked on the door, and this woman came and said, I wonder if I could have just a, a glass of water. He was thirsty. So she came out with some... Um, a glass of ice-cold milk and some cookies. And um, she didn't recognize who he was. And But anyway, uh, he took those, and there was some time afterwards where she needed surgery. And there was only one place where she could get the surgery, and that was at Johns Hopkins University. And the surgeon was going to be Dr. Howard Kelly. 
And uh, when she went in, he recognized her, but she didn't recognize him. And had the surgery. And have you ever seen a hospital bill? Have you ever been in a hospital and then see the bill? How in the world they ever imagine all the things they put on that bill? Uh, an aspirin tablet, $10 and all this. And um, so it was time for her to be dismissed. And um, she looked at it and she said, Oh, doctor, said, um, I'm an honest woman, but I, I, I just can't afford to pay all of this right at once, but I'll do my best and pay a little at a time. But um, he handed her the bill. And at the bottom of the bill were these words, Paid in full by a glass of milk and some cookies. In that day, we are going to receive, and I worked with a man in Tucson, Arizona, who lived according to that that you read in John's, one of John's epistles, of receiving a full reward. And uh, Dr. Richard S. Beale in Tucson lived with that in his mind constantly. He had a secretary in her, de- in her room. He would never walk in there. He would run in there. He never took a day off. When he'd go on his holiday, he'd come back with 50 sermons. On uh, Monday, which uh, most of us took off as a kind of a day of rest, he would work around his house. He never had anybody to trim the hedge. He'd do that himself. But he wanted, he told me more than once, he said, I want a full reward. So I hope that you'll remember as you read, if you go home tonight and read Second Corinthians chapter 5, then remember that every Christian believer is judged in the past, he's being judged in the present, and he's going to be judged in the future. He's been judged in the past as a sinner. We're being judged in the present as a son in the family. We represent him on earth like he represents us before the Father in heaven. So we represent him down here. And then there's going to be a future, a day of judgment in the future. And um, whether we like the idea or not, we're going there. And uh, what we have done with a life, whether it's money or talent or ability or whatever it is we've done with our life, we're going to be judged for it. And that judgment will uh, bring, whether it's a loss or whether it's a reward. I'll never forget being in Jamaica with a man by the name of Edwin Willie. He was from Wales. And he used to tell me, uh, and he was everlastingly at it. He was a different character. He was the most unusual man that I had ever met. But he said to me one day, see, I shudder when I think of the judgment seat of Christ. I said, Mr. Willie, at the judgment seat of Christ, I'd give all that I get for a tenth of what you're going to get. We don't know. Going to be some great, great surprises. But um, he's saved us. We belong to him. Now he's given us, whether our days are few or whether they're longer, we have time, we have days in which we can invest the abilities or the material things that God has given us. And in that day, we are going to receive and reap exactly that which we have sown. Again, thank you for the privilege of being here with you these days. And I think that Ross Rhodes is already in town. He put a little note there 
and I've read it, and he and his wife Carol are here, and he'll be here on Sunday, and you're going to enjoy Ross Rhodes, I'm sure. Uh, but thank you very much. I think we have one here that just came back from Israel and uh, flew all the way back. And um, I think uh, Skip will be back about Wednesday. But they've had a long, long trip. I think that Skip Isaac is in, uh, is in Greece about now and probably went out um, to Corinth today, I say about 55 miles. And then also they'll be going on a boat out to Patmos, where John wrote the book of Revelation. But again, thank you for the privilege of being here and the will of God. I'm all packed and I'm ready to roll it. And um, so I'll be home in the will of God tomorrow afternoon. And um, I hope my wife will meet me at the airport. And, uh, but I'd be home tomorrow afternoon. And if you ever come to Florida and you come um, and, you know, you may come down U.S. 19 and it's time to um, um, get some fuel for your car. You're out in Pinellas Park and um, you say to your wife, don't we know somebody in St. Petersburg? Yeah. She said, that fellow with the, that funny name, a gust of wind, a gust, no, 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 a gust of sun, said, um, uh, how far is Central Avenue from where we are? Oh, he said, you'd be there in 15 minutes or less. So it's about 20 minutes of 12. And um, I hear a rap on the door, and I go out, and it seems so I've seen you somewhere. And you tell me about uh, my being here? I said, yeah, I remember that now. Listen, somebody gave us a turkey the other day, and it's in the oven right now. Go out and get your wife and kids, uh, and um, there's plenty for everybody. And you said, no, no, we're on our way down to Fort Myers. I said, no, go out and get them. You say, well, if you insist, because we didn't have anything but crackers and Coca-Cola for breakfast. And... Um, so you come in and I say, listen, the turkey is going to be on the table in a few minutes. Go in and wash up and come on back. And you say, this sure is providential. Uh, incidentally, if you ever get within any hundred miles of St. Petersburg, stop by all means right where you are. Um, <laughs> but um, as... Um, you get around the table, and the sun is shining like it does 360 days in the year in St. Petersburg. And the sun casts a shadow of that turkey on the tablecloth. I said, I know you're hungry. Uh, help yourself to the shadow of this turkey. You say, shadow, nothing. What we want is the real image. And so, um, uh, no, if you're ever in... If you're ever in uh, coming down around that way, don't hesitate. Just keep going. Uh, but thank you. Someone's clapping. I don't know what for. But thank you so much. And um, we'll be remembering you. And we're just grateful for the privilege of being here. Let's stand, shall we?
I really don't know whether you're clapping because you're glad I'm finished or whether... Anyway, uh, thank you very much. And let's bow, shall we, in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing uh, these things to go through our mind uh, tonight from your word concerning the way what you have done for us in the past, what you are doing for us in the present, and that day in the future when we shall appear before you. We don't understand it, but we believe what you have said, that there will be something in every believer that you will be able to thank and commend them for. Now we pray for the future of this ministry here, and we pray that it may continue, and that the Lord Jesus may continue to be glorified in every service. For the Lord Jesus' sake we pray.